Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws. This episode is hosted and sponsored by Zenium HR. We are currently at Zenium running our Beyond Compensation Survey where you can find out how your benefits and perks stack up against other employers just like yourself. The signups are until May 15th. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can sign up, but it's a really good benefit. It's free to participate and you get a free report showcasing what other employers like yourself are doing from a benefits and perks perspective. So very valuable data. So go sign up. Okay. So today's episode is with Patty Beach. I really enjoyed this conversation. She is the author of The Art of Alignment, A Practical Guide to Inclusive Leadership. This discussion is all about how do you empower your people and your employees to get alignment between a vision and a goal, how to move people. We very much discuss how the top-down approach to leadership and alignment does not work in this day and age. So it's very much about inclusiveness and alignment. There's a lot of really good tips in this episode too about how you can run meetings and things like that. So I I love this episode. It's probably one of my favorites of the year. So enjoy and I look forward to connecting with you. We got lots of good stuff coming up. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the episode. Patty, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. You wrote a book called The Art of Alignment, A Practical Guide to Inclusive Leadership. Fantastic book. You start out by saying that organizations operate like machines with interlocking gears. How so? Well, you know, a lot of times I am working with someone that maybe is starting up a new function. And whenever you're starting something, you have to like put that into a machine that's already working. So if you think of like a clock, the old fashioned kind of clock, right? With all those gears, you can't just stick something in the middle and expect it to work. You know, you have to rearrange everything in order for those gears to run smoothly. And this is especially true in companies now where people are specialized and their specialties overlap and things like that. It's really important for those gears to work together smoothly. There's another metaphor I loved uh, at the beginning of your book. You said like, you're driving down the highway, your tire hits a pothole and throws the whole thing out of alignment. And you have to get two new tires as a result of it. And it's just like, okay, so the car is out of alignment and it, it messes up all these other things. So relate that to the workplace. How does that fit into the alignment of the workplace and, and leadership and all that? Yeah. So a lot of the leaders that I'm coaching, they have a lot of people on their team and oftentimes they go, okay, we're going to take this hill, you know, and everybody starts heading toward the hill. And they all know where they need to go. But if they're pulling against each other, they can't get to that hill as quickly. So, you know, that's <laughs> more than just knowing which hill are we going to take. It's like, how are we going to get there? And how do we get aligned around that? And so oftentimes I'm working with leaders. It feels like that they say, oh, we're hurting cats. You know, we're trying to get everybody to do stuff. And it's hard to get them to agree. So they use the easy tricks like sticks and carrots to get people to do things. But that's not the same as people really feeling committed to the same plan where we're all going together toward that hill. And so I kind of wanted to move off of like the hurting cats 
way of operating to it being more like driving a Tesla, you know, hands-free, just it's all going direction. We all know what we're trying to achieve, that kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. I guess when you talk about like herding catch, that that very much sounds like a top-down approach to leading teams in a way. It's like, okay, well, I'm the decision maker and you guys are the ones that are just doing the work for me and I'm going to set the direction. And I don't really care if you're aligned or you see my way of doing things, but I'm just going to herd you along in my direction. It's kind of what it sounds like. Right. And it's kind of what it's like, you know, and I think that's the way most people think of it is how can I get these people to do this? How can I help them feel heard? I mean, sometimes I'll say things like, you want to get buy-in. I mean, even those kind of things, which is better than the old top-down. I mean, it used to be command and control. Now we're improved into like getting buy-in or enrolling people. But it still implies that one person has the answer and everybody else is just there to follow that person's lead. When in reality, right now, a lot of the things we're trying to solve are very complicated and we need everybody's thinking behind it. And if we can create an environment where every voice matters, then we can solve those problems together. So if leaders can come out of that frame of mind as if they have the answer and they're going to convince somebody or sell them or tell them on what to do, then they open the box for possibilities and full engagement and innovation from all areas of their team. One of the things that appealed to me in just exploring your work and the reason I want to interview you is everybody's talking about inclusion right now. You know, a lot of the, I'm in the HR industry and people are talking about inclusion. Like how do you create an inclusive environment? And it, I think it starts with the work that you're doing with alignment. It's like, okay, here's the vision that we have. And is everybody bought into that? And if not, let's explore that. And then how do we get all the pieces moving together in the same direction? Yeah. It's so it's beautiful. If organizations can achieve full alignment, what are the long lasting benefits and, and maybe immediate benefits to alignment too? Like how would the organization feel and operate and look, you know, from your perspective? Right. So it's kind of interesting full alignment because, you know, when we think of alignment, we always see this like straight line. And again, I want to think of it more like gears operating together. So we're going to get that kind of um, point of view. But what I like to think of is not, we never really reach full alignment, but what we become is a self-aligning organization. That means that we all have the competencies to bring forward, oh, here's an area of misalignment. Here's some proposals or requests that would help us resolve that misalignment. So we feel free to identify misalignment, to deal with it proactively and creatively, to invite people to help us solve that problem, as opposed to, uh, you know, the old traditional view of alignment is it's top down. We come up with a plan and everybody lines up under that plan, right? (laughs) But if we're not really that kind of a a pyramid, we're really more like that clock moving around together, right? That doesn't really work anymore, right? So being to become self-aligning where we're able to have those dialogues that we need to have with each other to resolve areas of misalignment, that's what really what we're looking for. Um, and it's a completely different visual in my mind than the, that other, you know, yeah, right. pyramid, um, work chart, you know, like we have the answer at the top and everybody just has to yep, do that. The top down. There's a point in your book that I thought was so fascinating, just about the power of the group and whether, you know, if they're aligned versus like just the single rock star expert whatever. So you had a couple data points about just how often groups are smarter than just an individual within a group. and there was an example that you gave, and I don't know where this research comes from, but it was a group of people, I think 800 people were guessing the weight of an ox. 
and then it was going against a butcher guessing the weight of an ox and i think the average of the group was off by like one pound versus i think the butcher was way off and it just shows the power of a team or i don't even know probably not even a team but just the ideas and the guesses of these people the average is still better than just this one person by themselves they call it the wisdom of the crowd you know you get a group together and one of the things that's important, this is really important too, as we're talking about inclusion, is that they have the psychological safety to speak their mind. Because what can happen a lot of times in groups is what's called groupthink. And that means you've got a senior person, they have an opinion, and everybody wants to pander to that opinion. That doesn't really tap into the wisdom of the crowd. So what we see with leaders that are very effective is that they're able to allow for all voices to be heard honestly. And it doesn't mean necessarily that we're all going to like take an average, you know, we may allocate, I like to say everybody should get a voice, but not everybody gets a vote, right? So if I, as a leader can allow everyone to have a voice, then I can hear all of the areas of alignment, all the areas of misalignment. And then maybe I, as leader may reserve the vote to me because that's my area of accountability and I may have information they don't have, but at least I'm not running blind, right? So that's what we're really looking for is that psychological safety. Because what happens is if you're, you're trying to do an inclusion, you may have a meeting. And I've had this in my history because I used to work as a geologist in an oil and gas company. And there weren't a lot of women. I would be the one woman in the room that they would invite into that conversation. But you didn't necessarily have the psychological safety to speak your mind. You know, you felt like you're the one outlier. Right. Right. So in my book, I outline a lot of techniques that help leaders think through how can I get all those voices, all the shy people, all the introverts, the people who are maybe marginalized, don't feel safe to share their opinion so that we can really identify those areas and tap into that wisdom versus, you know, everybody nodding their heads is usually what happens in a meeting. Right? They just nod their heads. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Just a quick note for listeners. So we've talked about psychological safety a lot on this podcast, and I interviewed Amy Edmondson from Harvard on this topic. So go back and listen to that a full episode just on psychological safety alone. So I wanted to go back to just the levers of alignment. So you talk about there's three lev- levers to organizational alignment. What are those? Well, um, the three levers are to set direction, create the clock, and empower people. So Setting direction is, let's all be clear, what are the goals we're shooting for? And this could be things like mission, vision, values, five-year, three-year, one-year plans, um, and having those clear, or they could be values that you're shooting for. So ideally, we have those conversations regularly and setting direction so that people know what is it we're trying to do. The second lever is creating clockwork. So as we're trying to shoot for that goal, how are we going to come together and have meetings or put information in databases or what are those systems or processes that are going to support us in reaching those goals. And if we can come to agreement and alignment around that, then we've got what we're going for, how we're going to go for it. And then the third part is empowering people. Now, who gets to do what in working with those clockworks to make things happen? Who gets the voice? Who gets the vote? And when we have those three things in place, then we have an organization that can just about do anything, you know, so it's pretty simple, but it works universally for all kinds of things. What is the SHUVA acronym? So this is S-H-U-V-A. And how does it play a role in alignment? Right. Well, SHUVA, it's actually a principle. There are three principles of alignment. SHUVA is one of them. And what SHUVA is, is to see, hear, understand, 
value, and appreciate. So it's an acronym. See, hear, understand, value, and appreciate. So anytime we have a group together, if everyone sees, hears, understands, values, and appreciates one another, then that creates the pathway to alignment. It's about quality of attention. And when you break it down, it's one of those very simple things, but it's actually quite profound because just starting with seeing, sometimes that person is not even in the room or they don't turn on their video cameras if you're in Zoom, you know, and it's important that we actually see each other and then hearing that we allow each other to talk and share time and then understand that we're listening for not what I think you're trying to say, but what I, what you really are trying to say. And then valuing, this is the really important part. Do I value your opinion enough to suspend my own judgment so that I could actually learn something from you and have what you have to say inform my decisions? And then lastly, do I appreciate you? And so when we have a Shuva culture or a Shuva environment, then it's easy to create alignment. But if we don't have Shuva there, it's really hard. It does seem like with the Shuva principle that people with this foundation of trust and respect and you're creating that when we talk about psychological safety, it feels like Shuva plays a major role in that. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times we do talk about psychological safety, but we don't know how to create it. And what I like about Shuva is this five verbs, you know, that you can do to create that environment. And when I bring teams together, we will actually analyze, you know, to what degree do you, are you, if you're in the center of that team and you know, you're Joe and you've got, Jane and Sally and Akmar, whatever, all the people in your teams, right? Are you sending Shuva to each of those people? And as a leader, are you Shuvaing your people? So Shuva becomes a verb as in itself. We talk about things like how do you Shuva up somebody? If they have an idea, how do you elevate them with Shuva so that they really feel like they matter? And it's the central promise of, or I guess you would say value proposition on my book or belief system Every person matters, and together we can solve the biggest problems we need to solve. That's basically it. And then we go back to, okay, if that's the truth, how do you do it? And in the book, there's all these tips and techniques on how to organize the meeting, how to ask people to share their point of view, you know, how to count those points of views and have them culminate in something that we're all going to agree to to take action. You talk about masculine and feminine traits and the role they play in alignment. And this really talks about the versatility principle. There's a whole chapter on that. I This is one of my favorite chapters, actually, just seeing the difference between the masculine traits of a leader and feminine traits and just and which one deflects and use at a given time. So talk about the versatility principle and, and all that. I, I thought it was really fascinating. Right, yeah. So um, this is versatility principle is really where I started with in this work that I really wanted to create a, a form of leadership that wasn't so patriarchal and which would be more in the masculine archetype. And in the patriarchal archetype, it really is about there being this leader who's going to lead us all and have the answers. And it's all about being logical and doing things in a structured way, in an orderly way. And so a lot of businesses are very male-dominated and they come from this patriarchal principle, so to speak. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's quite efficient. It works really well. And if you need to get things done in a very limited amount of time with limited amount of money, which is mainly the proposition of most businesses, it's a fine principle. It works great. <laughs> but meanwhile, there's the feminine principle, which is more on the, you know, the side of having feelings and nurturing and, and caring for one another and, and realizing that we're human. What we're finding in business is that when you have a balance of that masculine principle and the feminine principle, you're stronger as a leader. 
So for example, um, you know, we want to have teams where we're holding people accountable for goals, but meanwhile, they're human. It's COVID. You know, we need to do things differently. We maybe need to relax the rules. When we do that temporarily to account for people's feelings and their humanity, what we find is over time, they'll actually deliver more because they feel that who they are matters. You know, go back again. Every person matters. And uh, so I basically codified in the four steps in the five C's of alignment, which is how you bring a group together to make a decision, the masculine and the feminine. It balances having people coming together and being efficient with also honoring their feelings and allowing for variety and stuff like that so that it has that balance to it. And my goal is to, to move us from the patriarchy, not to the matriarchy, but to the versaarchy. You know, the word versatile means to turn or, or versa means to turn. So by being a versatile leader, you're able to turn from the masculine side to the feminine side of the dialogue in order to create a solution where we know it's good because we have all the information, but it also feels good to people so that we have that true alignment. Our head, heart, and hands come into uh, into sync. And then we can move forward with conviction instead of going, well, I, I know I should move forward on this, but I don't really feel like it. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> That's what happens if you just go in with the, the mechanical version of it, right? But I wonder why this was your favorite chapter. I mean, what did you like about it uh, in particular? I always wonder... The language might throw people off. I thought because we're coming from a, a world where I think the masculine side has is dominated for for so long to to be able to see the other side of it uh, and the the you know converse uh, trait to the the masculine side is this you know very opposite approach and to be able to use both of those traits in any given moment with uh, a a team that's diverse and being able to flex. I think that's the biggest, um, biggest takeaway I I had in this chapter. Yeah. That's good to hear. You know, I really feel like some of the younger men and women have this more naturally than some people from my generation because, uh, you know, we came, I, I was, I'm the end of the boomers. Right. And so we were brought up in a very, I think a very masculine way of thinking. And part of it was because we had a separation, you know, between, I guess, now hold hold on, I'm I'm pulling a little blank here, but the younger folks tend to be brought up with parents where both parents worked, right? And so when both parents work, then they are really modeling the masculine and the feminine being alive and well at work and at home, for example. And so I think the younger generation being brought up with that really like that. And so they're even going forward even more than my generation where there was more of the separation. There was the masculine world of work and the feminine world of home, right? And now we're seeing with Zoom, right, it's all coming into sync because we're actually working from home now where, you know, for example, we started this call, my daughter's in the basement sick, right? You know, so that's the reality of my life. But meanwhile, we can be in the same room at work where both of those things are coexisting and they're not in two separate compartments, right? And that's going to be even more going forward. So we're going to need versatility more than ever now to be able to create the right balance so that we can float back and forth from the masculine to the feminine world, right, to make decisions and be in humanity, et cetera. So I'm very optimistic that this is going to get better from now on. Yeah. 
let's dive into some logistical stuff with meetings because I think there's a big importance around meetings when it comes to alignment because this is the time where teams can come together. Logistically, how do you make teams effective? How do you get aligned, whether it's um, location of the meeting, format of the meeting, how people are sitting in a circle or a horseshoe or like anything logistical that you can share with the audience? I think it'd be very helpful. Yeah. Right. So um, logistically, if you're physically in the same room, I am absolutely not a fan of the big conference table arrangement because you know? <laughs> I feel like it's just set up to where like, you know, the king sits in the position, you know, and everybody's around and you can't see each other. If you look sideways, you look at through people's heads, etc. So um, I, I am not a fan of that configuration. I'm also not a fan of the classroom configuration with the teacher in the front. So I do like better when you have a conference room where you have people sitting in a U you know, and that kind of thing, or in a circle, or chairs with no tables, but a lot of times people want to write, etc. I, I think that, you know, this virtual environment is actually quite conducive to more equality and more voices being heard. Part of that is because what we're seeing a lot now is the organizations where you've got like somebody in Seattle, another person in Denver, and, and then maybe there's five people in Denver. So the people in Denver in a room, the person in Seattle's, you know, on screen, it's not equitable. But when you can have every single person where their face can be zeroed in on, then you create an environment that's more equitable. And then additionally, you know, you don't have that configuration of like the person at the head of the room and the people all around. Uh, The other thing I really like about the virtual environment is that you can do a lot of simultaneous processing. Like people can put in the chat. In fact, we have this thing called a chatterfall. Have you ever heard of the chatterfall? No, explain that. Well, a chatterfall and and I'll, I'll, I'll combine this with the Shuva lesson, right? So, Shuva is to see, hear, understand, value, and appreciate. So ideally, we're appreciating each other, right? But if you've got 15 people on a call, it takes a while and gets kind of boring by the fifth person. And you feel like, oh, I'm calling this person intelligent and somebody else called them intelligence. I'm using the same words, so it's all pressure, et cetera. But with the Chatterfall, what you do is you would have, okay, we're going to put the name of the person, like we'd have Brandon, you know, and I said, okay, I would write Brandon in chat. And then I would say, okay, everybody write, like, what's Brandon's best attribute? What do we really appreciate the most about him? Write it in the chat, but don't hit enter until I say enter. So everybody writes that one word, and then, you know, they'll say, like, oh, charming or whatever, or, you know, a good listener. And then, boom, everybody hits enter, and you see the 17 people said awesome stuff about you. But it only takes one minute or half a minute, like 30 seconds. So you can get through 17 people in six minutes, right? And you don't have to worry about people repeating things. And so anyway, it's great because you can, it creates this equitable environment. The other thing that really creates an equitable environment is for people to write things before they say it. So uh, if I have people in a room, I might ask a question like, what clarifications do you have about this proposal? One of my C's in my formula. And I say, okay, everybody write down one point of clarification on a little sheet of paper. So they write it down. And then I say, okay, person A, share one. They share one. And I say, who else has that clarification? So then there might be four other people who have that same clarification. You know, and you can just see what everybody's thinking. It's about making transparent all of the diversity in the room, different opinions and points of views. That's easier to do on, on a, in a virtual environment with chat. Okay, everybody write one point of clarification. You can see them all and, oh, three people need clarifying what this acronym means. <laughs> you know, It's really kind of great, actually. But 
what are you thinking? You, do you like the virtual environments or? I, I do. I think it's, it's conducive for, like you said, equity. It, I think it's easier to align teams and I think we can move faster as a result of it. I think uh, a lot of teams or a lot of people probably have a hard time leading meetings. It's just a different environment and it's can be awkward at times. People talking over each other, internet lagging. Uh, there's there's a lot of issues with it, but I, I think overall, I, I like the virtual environment. I think it's it allows us to move faster. Yeah, I think that's just got a lot of things. It's a little bit getting used to it, right? I mean, it's nice to be in the same room together too, definitely. But. Right. There was a point that you made, I think this is early on in the alignment process, but it was about brainstorming meetings and I'm trying to remember because I didn't even jot it down, but it's it's reminding me because you were talking about like the chatter fall. So you write whether something on a note card or, or multiple note cards, and then you come together as a group. And I think you organize them a certain way. Do you, do you remember what I'm? Yeah, I mean, I think that what happens a lot of times in brainstorm is we'll, we'll people will shout out things and we'll write them on a flip chart. That's your traditional, you know, brainstorm. But what happens, of course, is the introverts are just sitting there. They're not really shouting anything out. And whoever's got the pen is dominating the conversation and all of those things. So I'm a huge fan of the stack of the four by six cards and getting people to write things individually. And then oftentimes I put them in pairs. So they're discussing their ideas. Like I've got my idea, you've got your idea. And we might even grade each other's ideas, right? And then rotate these around so that we're, we're able to see as many ideas as possible. That's basically the, the goal of it. And how can we do that efficiently? I mean, I have had meetings with hundreds of people where hundreds of ideas are being generated and we're using these cards to sort them into different groups and affinityize them and vote on them, et cetera, so we can really use the wisdom of the crowd. So there are a lot of techniques like that. I really love techniques by written up in a book called Liberating Structures. And they, they're just wonderful, tremendous little tricks. And now they're adapting all of those to the virtual environment. But the bottom line of it is letting people think individually before they think collectively. Can we have each person, you know, like I said, write that one word and then see, okay, there may be some repetition of words. That's fine. We don't all have to have an original word, you know. <laughs> But how can we use this method to elucidate areas of alignment and areas of misalignment? So areas of alignment, we can celebrate it like, woo, yay, we all like this about it, you know. And then areas of misalignment, oh, what's that? What's your concern and what's your concern and how do we address those concerns as best we can and use our collective intelligence to resolve them with different suggested changes that would help us grow? I guess I have one other thing that this, uh, this occurred to me the other day that Oftentimes we create an environment which is about debating, which is your idea versus my idea. My idea is good for this reason. Here's the pros and here's the cons of yours. And you tell me the pros of yours and the cons of mine. And And then we're going to choose one. (laughs) Yeah. I prefer building on an idea versus debating an idea. So I'd rather have you come up with your idea and I help you build on it versus our ideas have to compete with one another until one of them wins out, which is more of a competitive kind of approach. So instead of de- debating, you should debuild on an idea, not debate. Yeah. There's this idea of fist of five polls. I've never heard of this before, but I love this or just around like capturing where you're at right now as a team from, from an alignment standpoint. Share w- with the listeners what that is and how you might use that to just gauge where you're at and, and refocus energy on the future. Yeah. 
Test to five comes from, you know, the agile folks that are working in software development. And so it's not my original idea. I'm not exactly sure who came up with it first. But for me, what I'm trying to do in any alignment process is for people to share what their level of commitment is to an idea. Because in the end, if we're not committed to it, what's, you know, what are the odds that after we leave this meeting, we're actually going to do it? So the FESTA 5 is a way to make everyone's level of commitment visible quickly. So basically, we'll talk about a different idea until we've deliberated all these different aspects of it. And we get down to this commitment test, as I call it. This, this is the fifth C in my 5C formula feedback. And I actually have people, basically, the, the fist is a block. So that would mean that I'm going to block this idea. And a five means I love it. And a, a one means I hate it. So you think about like high five, like it's awesome, you know. And I tell us folks that I'm working with, like a block should be like once in a career. You don't block decisions right and left. So it's very, very rare that you would see a block. But I have them put their heads down and I say, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And then they throw up their hands. So if they're a five, they're like, yeah, I'm on fire for this. But if they're a one, they're like, Ugh, I couldn't possibly do this. If they're a two, they're like, we really need to keep talking about this. If it's a three, that means they could live with it. If it's a four, they mean they like it. And five, they love it. So we can see right away all the fives. And ideally, we're getting to level four or five. And uh, that would be ideal. But if we get three or higher for everybody, I'm like, okay, good. Good enough, right? The idea being that we can live with it or we love it, then that's good enough. But what we don't want are people who really think, you know, we've got to keep talking about this because the bridge is out and we don't want to keep going down that road. So after you do the fist of five, you can let the fours and fives talks and let the twos and ones talk and then have the vote again. So it's a real quick way to sort of resolve some of the misalignments that can show up or to just bag the idea because you don't have enough alignment to move it forward instead of moving forward with mixed commitment. And that was going to be my next question is like, if you, if you can never get to full alignment, do you just give up? Do you keep forcing the issue and try to persuade one group or another? How do you, what do you do going forward? You know, it's solely dependent on the situation. You know, it goes back to how you set it up and the voice and vote thing. Like say everybody should have a voice, but not everybody gets a vote. And when you deliberate something, and you've gotten to the point where people aren't on board, if you're the person in charge, you could decide, okay, I'm going to make authoritative decision. I mean, we used to do that all the time, you know, back in the day, right? Now it's not popular. You don't want to do it, right? But meanwhile, sometimes you have to, like you've got a deadline, you don't have any other choice. So you can decide, okay, I'm going to proceed with this unpopular decision, which most people are not going to back because they're not on board with it and just know that I could ask them to say, hey, you know, you really have to do this because it's required of you. So we can go back to the, the sticks and carrots. But I, in my, my opinion, that's better than pretending we have alignment when we don't, right? It's better to know there's misalignment and to decide, okay, I'm going to postpone this decision or not do it because we don't have enough commitment or I'm going to do it and I'm going to ask everyone to do this to just, you know, eat the bitter pill for me on this one and know that they're doing it and appreciate them for it. I don't know. I mean, I think it's better than pretending, but I'm not sure. What, what, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. A lot of times y'all just nod our head like, oh yeah, we're going to do this thing. Nobody wants to do it. You know? <laughs> I think it depends on the stakes, how high are the stakes? Like if it's something that 
you know, I might not be aligned on something, but it's just not that big of a deal. I, you know, I'll let, I'll let something just go versus if it's like a humongous business strategy and we're making a huge shift, I will, I'll block, I would block it if I had to, <laughs> I would speak up. Yeah. I think the important thing is, are you allowing people in your organization to speak up? Are you allowing for them to be dissenters or do you expect them to just go lockstep and say yes when they don't really believe yes? I don't believe in that. I would prefer to have the reluctant soldiers letting me know they're reluctant than having them pretend that they agree when they don't. Yeah. I think that's the problem is so often we're not creating this space where people can share what they're really feeling. And so people will just often go along with it and um, we'll never know the true like the true feeling if they didn't agree with it or didn't align with it, they're just, we're not giving them the space to, to, to mention it because some people are really introverted and they just don't speak up in those meetings. So I love a lot of the tactics that you shared throughout the book about how to run these meetings and how to give people a voice. I think that's what this is all about is giving people a voice and then moving forward. That's exactly it. Every voice matters and together we can solve the biggest problems we can't always do it within the amount of time we want it, you know, we don't for you know. But if we have patience and we really listen to each other, then we're more likely to find the answers than if we don't. If we rush through it or we pretend like we've got answers we don't. Well, this has been so much fun, Patty. Great book. The book is Art of Alignment, a practical guide to inclusive leadership. Keep up the great work. Where can people find you, uh, your book, or anything that you want to share with the listeners? They can find my book at almost any bookstore, but Amazon's the easiest place to find it. But my website, leadershipsmarts.com, is a place to come and you could sign up for a get acquainted call or you could download some of the alignment tools that we have there. And fairly fairly soon, we're going to have software to support this alignment theory to make it easier for people to include more people and to have meetings offline if they need to and still have that healthy dialogue about what they need to know to make sure everybody really is committed to the idea in the end that they're moving forward with. Thanks for coming on, Patty. You're welcome. I enjoyed it.